Hello, everyone. Welcome in to the Magic the Gathering unofficial audiobooks podcast. My name is Phil Dawson, and I'm hoping you are enjoying Bloodlines so far. I know I am. Also, I want to remind you to check out the Shadow Box Cubes from our friend's Etsy store. These things are awesome. Just today, I was checking out the Beavis and Butthead Shadow Box Cube. Oh, it was cool. Yeah, cool. <laughs> anyway, check out the store as they are the perfect gift for the holidays. You could really make that fan in your life something special, personal with these customizable Shadow Box Cubes. Also, got reviews from our patrons who received an Urza and Mishra one saying they are very happy and that the boxes are very cool. So check them out, etsy.com slash store slash apes and capes. I have a link in the show notes. You get 10% off too if you use the code MAGIC at checkout. Again, etsy.com slash store slash apes in capes or go to the link 10% off with the code MAGIC at checkout. Plus, if you want to get your hands on one of these Urza and Mishra shadow box cubes, become a patron. The next five patrons who go over the $100 mark in support will receive one. So the patrons who are already on, just keep plugging away. Or if you want to skip to the front of the line, there's a tier available even for just a month that you can get what is a $60 value, right? So it's really a great deal to support the show, support the Etsy store, get a cool gift. And by the way, all the funds from the Patreon are going to a travel fund so my one-year-old daughter can meet her grandparents for the first time. What is not to love about supporting this? I mean, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be a patron. I appreciate you all. I really do. Thank you for listening. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Phil and Sendai. Plus, our Discord keeps growing with very nice, very cool people. And if you're listening now, that's you. So join up. Okay, let's go. Chapter 6 Baron stepped into the workshop, noticing first the disarray of tools left out on the workbenches. Tymon stood nearby, staring out of one of the gray-blue tinted windows. A slight chill crawled over the nape of the mage's neck. Tymon's posture and position reminded Baron of a time eight subjective years ago, 65 in actual Dominarian years, when he had first offered Gatha a position in the Metathran experiments. Baron doubted it to be coincidental that Tymon had requested their meeting here in the very same workshop Baron had then held his orientations on the bloodlines. Tymon had specifically wanted this room, wanted Baron to remember. I'm here, Tymon. The student sorcerer turned around slowly, awarded Baron a bow of respect. Thank you for your time, sir. You will find the papers on the edge of that first table. The mage did not look immediately. He instead met Tymon's placid gaze and tried to discern what could be so important that the senior student had deliberately bypassed the usual administrative chain to come directly to the academy's chief administrator. If you wish to register a complaint, you should do so through the proper channels. Working under Gatha can't be easy for... I will register no complaint concerning Tudor Gatha, Tymon interrupted, though his voice remained respectful. But I do have a discovery I believe should be placed directly into your hands. Baron thought he knew Tymon better than to expect grandstanding, so he shrugged him the benefit of the doubt and picked up the stack of papers set nearby. The top page looked to be pasted back together from several pieces that had been deliberately ripped. 
Baron did not recognize the report and glanced back at the young sorcerer. Who did this? he demanded. Tymon stood mute. That told Baron enough. So much for the idea of accurate records. He began reading. The first page is not the only one that looked as if it had been pasted back together or fished from the trash. By the time he had read a fourth of the way through the pile, Baron was seated and arranging certain papers over the cluttered desk for ease of referral. All told, the stack covered about 40 years of real-time research into the problem currently facing the bloodlines, the growing lack of empathy for Dominaria, and an embrasure of their darker elements. You can prove this? were Baron's first words. Tymon nodded. In the next room. A few junior students waited there, escorts for a sullen elderly man who frowned at Tymon's entrance and glared hostility at Baron. The man's head had an elongated curve going back over his shoulders. This is Raoud. He's a bloodline subject raised in the fast time. That explained the skull's elongation to Baron. Several subjects had evidenced a few unusual physical characteristics after some of Gatha's experiments. They were also known for a natural hostile approach to anyone associated with the Academy. Why are you here, Raoud? Baron asked softly, feeling for the other man. You are not compelled. Baron ignored Tymon's wounded glance. Raoud shook his head once. This one, a nod to Tymon, said he might be able to help my little girl. She don't get along so well with others, he swallowed. With anyone. The mage let it go, not wanting to parade over the man's pride. Let's hope he can, he said. Tymon brought out a small box and removed from it a stone streaked with cobalt and milky white. Some areas sparkled green or red from less obvious mineral deposits. A felwar stone, Tymon explained, was a naturally occurring stone capable of channeling the five types of mana. He placed it on the table, close to the elder man, and cast an incantation over it. The stone rolled toward Raoud, once, twice, then fell still. The young sorcerer picked it up and placed it closer to one of the escorts. The stone began rolling at once and was prevented from falling off the table only by Tymon's quick grab. He nodded to the students. Thank you. They got up and left the room, Raoud between them. That doesn't prove much, Tymon, Baron waited, sure the student would explain himself. Just a quick demonstration, the younger man said. The stone will roll slower, turn less often depending on the generation. It barely trembled for Arud's daughter. He placed the Felwer stone back in its box. I'm using a variation on the laws of contagion. If a person has memories for the lands of Dominaria, they are drawn to anything of a similar type. Using wood, this spell will work only for those with an affinity for nature, green mana, a hot coal or piece of obsidian likewise for the mountains of red mana. I promise you, Master Baron, that the bloodlines are developing without an affinity for any part of Dominaria. The fast time labs we are using to accelerate the turn of human generations do not allow them to gain memories of the land. These are not mages, Baron said, troubled, looking for an argument. And if they were, is, is it a matter of bringing them outside? A person's connection to the lands of Dominaria means more than his ability to draw upon the mana he possesses. Tymon interrupted again. I could prove to you that the connection directly affects the person's natural empathy for the world around him. How far back a lack of such ties causes irreversible harm is uncertain, but theory suggests that it could be at birth or even conception or over generations. Baron stood speechless. He paused, his gaze meeting Tymon's while considering the implications. The entire project could be in danger of permanent contamination. Is that what you're saying? Tymon simply nodded. The mage sighed. 
All right, Timon, I'm convinced, but we'll have to turn this over to a larger workforce at once for independent verification and study the possible treatments, and I'll have to tell Urza. He was certain the walker would not be pleased about these findings or the destroyed reports. Baron would not tolerate such blatant disregard for protocol, especially when lives were affected. The sorcerer braced himself up at the mention of Urza Planeswalker. He'll be back in Talaria soon? I heard he had just visited. Yes, but we have another problem that requires immediate action. In fact, it's ironic that the Bloodlines problem is so similar to Karn's. This appeared to catch Tymon off guard. The younger man frowned. Karn? How can he suffer from lack of memories of the land? His problem is just the opposite. He suffers from an infinite memory. It is paralyzing him, though slowly, over the course of decades. Baron shook his head in implied pity. Rain and I have noticed it's affecting his performance in any task requiring human interaction, and he'll continue to grow increasingly inflexible as time passes. Did Urza have any ideas? There was no questioning Tymon's concern. Baron shrugged. I don't think so, not yet. He simply said that the situation would have to be dealt with decisively. The mage braced Tymon with his gaze. I'm telling you because I want you to work with Rain and myself on this. Perhaps your empathy research can help. Tymon nodded gravely, accepting the charge. If it can't, the solution will be entirely in the hands of Rosa Planeswalker. The workshop was one of the larger ones, with an overhead gallery for students to observe the progress below. Several tables stood upon the floor. Racks of tools and equipment lined the walls. The room smelled of aged wood, leather, and oil. Rain thought the room much bigger than required for so simple an alteration, and the gallery remained clear, which surprised her. The academy was still a place of instruction for all its preoccupation these days with the legacy. Only Baron stood solitary in attendance above, as she suspected her husband of turning away the idle curious for the sake of the patient. Rain approved and nodded her support to Baron. She stood at Karn's left shoulder. The large silver golem lay down upon the centermost and largest table in the shop. Turning her gaze back from the gallery, Rain placed a gentle hand on Karn's thick arm. It will be all right, he said, his voice a soft rumble stealing her thought for him. No one else in the room cared for nor actually needed Karn's comforting assurances. Urza stood at the table's other side, discussing some finer points of Thran metal with Gatha, who managed to at least look curious whether or not he actually was. Rain doubted it. Gatha was here on the order of her husband. He had helped design the cage and consulted with Urza on the magics that would be employed. Learn some compassion for the lives he touches, was Baron's private comment to Rain, though both doubted it would happen. Even after two years, Gatha still chafed at the new restrictions to his own work. He complained about the insignificant duties placed upon him, such as teaching classes and filling out extra paperwork to ensure that normal research was misrouted. His single appeal to Urza had met with stony silence, and there was no higher court. Urza moved to Karn's head and, without preamble, reached beneath the neck to unfasten the clasp. Even for the planeswalker, this took some doing, trying to manipulate the intricate lock hidden inside a small cavity. It was designed to be difficult, and the combination was known only to six people, including Karn himself. The lock released with an audible snap. Urza lifted, and the golem's entire head swung forward to rest with his face, touching his chest. Rain noticed that the assembly was not hinged, but the silver metal itself seemed to bend and fold to allow the movement. Karn shuddered once and then went completely stiff as Rain reached in and removed the black power stone that gave the golem life. The heart of Zansha. Rain never before had the chance to examine it. 
was the size of a grapefruit and perfectly black, where most power stones were constructed of a clearer crystal. Rain thought that she could feel the power that resided within the stone, imagined it as Karn's spectral voice asking for help. A single tear welled up in the corner of her eye, but there was nothing she could do for her friend. Urza Planeswalker had decreed it would be so. Karn's recallable memory would be capped at 20 years to prevent the golem's slow failure toward compelled dormancy. Rain glanced back up to the gallery, wondering how her husband might be feeling over the results of his insight. She saw that a single person had joined Baron. It was Tymon, the sorcerer whose latest work had suggested that a subject's empathy for Dominaria was better than 90% based off the ties developed over the first 18 years of life. His evaluation of Urza's plan before discovering the use it would be put toward could find no reason why a floating memory of 20 years would not adequately duplicate the formative years repeatedly over the lifetime of a subject. She wondered if foreknowledge of Urza's plans might have changed his answer, if only in presentation. They all shared responsibility, everyone now present. Rain possibly the more so as it had been her initial theory that the increasing pressure of growing Thran metal against the Power Stone might somehow be used to restrict memory recall. That theory had held up despite numerous students' attempts to break it, despite her own best attempts as well, when she realized the single flaw that Urza had decided Karn could live with and probably be the better for. Despite the research, no one could say how this procedure might affect the golem's mind. In the meantime, design of the cage had gone forward. The planeswalker now lifted it from a nearby box, a two-part shell. It looked delicate but was stronger than any other known metal. The basket had been fashioned from a pattern of whorls and segmented braces which perfectly enclosed the heart of Zancha. Rain set the power stone inside one half, and when Urza closed the basket, it magically fused into a solid piece. A full year's growth of the metal would squeeze the stone and begin to suppress Karn's older memories. Over two centuries of accumulated experience and knowledge would be lost at times press in as little as a single decade, after which Karn's memories would fade as any regular person's might locked away, but with full recall capacity of only 20 years. It was hardly a young man's lifetime, but, according to Urza, more than adequate. Rain winced as Urza replaced the Power Stone, no more concern showing in the walker's eyes than for any other artifact. Rain glanced away. There were worse things than death, certainly, and so far Urza Planeswalker seemed capable of them all. Rainfall pounded Talaria, the first heavy fall of the year's stormy season. Special covers went up over the academy's tended grounds, protecting flower beds and in some cases the food gardens in which the students and staff relied upon for fresh produce. The deluge pounded against paving rock, clay shingles, and wooden slat roofing. Over fast time areas, the water was wicked away so quickly that the downpour simply appeared to lighten or even stop. The slow time envelopes, as seen from without, appeared as strange bubbles, the water building on the surface until it began sheeting off the sides might be hours or even weeks before the first drop hit the ground as seen from real time. Inside the island's protected harbor, rocking in the hard wind, the anchored weatherlight sat with gangplank extended to the nearest dock. A few final supplies were carried on board, the ship's scheduled not to be interrupted by mere acts of nature. The crew loaded on provisions for the voyage, slow time waters to be delivered to those few Academy alumni allowed to return to the real world, and legacy artifacts to be hidden away in other cities until needed again one day. Gatha stomped his way up the gangway, working his fury out on the iron grillwork. He ignored the purser, who was responsible for all stores loaded and passengers brought aboard. The man was currently debating the additional equipment being brought up the ramp by two of Gatha's assistants. Bypassing formalities, Gatha instead presented himself to the captain. 
who stood in a small sheltered overhang while supervising the last of the cargo being secured aboard the vessel. Help you, master? she asked, using the title clearly out of habit than any awe for the academy insignia on Gatha's cloak. She certainly did not move out into the rain so that Gatha could stand protected from the elements. Twenty years commanding a vessel might inure anyone to the regular formalities Gatha supposed. Still, the tutor loathed her for his dry position, the buttons on her foul-weather coat done only halfway up while Gatha squirmed from the cold water leaking at the neck of his cloak. I've been added to your passenger list. The tutor lied, presenting the forged papers, stamped with Baron's own seal, borrowed during one of the Master Mage's few classes he still taught. Gatha could have more easily laid his hands on the seal of a Chancellor, but he had decided against it for various reasons. Though Gatha despised Baron for the other's weak stomach and lack of vision, there was no doubting the Master Mage's formidable powers. Since Gatha considered the other man a peer, even if he was rival only, Baron's seal would be used. Shut down Gatha's primary labs, would he? So I see, Captain Bravin said, after a cursory glance at the seal. And that? she asked, nodding toward the commotion at the head of the ramp. My equipment and some supplies. All papers are in order. Gatha tucked the documents back into the relative dryness of his dark cloak. You're to transport me and my equipment. I will leave the ship at your first port of call. His tone left little room for arguing, and the captain seemed ill-inclined to do so anyway. Eric, check the seals and the equipment. Get it secured below, Captain Bravin bellowed, ignoring Gatha's flinch at the volume of her order. It's too wet to be arguing their timing. Nodding an insincere thanks, Gatha backed away from the captain and returned to his assistants. The purser scrawled a brief description of each piece to his master inventory, estimating weight when necessary. Ether mixer? What's that? He asked, stopping a female student at the head of the gangway. Gatha spoke up before the student could answer. Lab equipment, he said. For mixing ether, of course. Light, very durable. Store it wherever. It was his own private joke. How did one mix ether? By stirring around empty air? It was a reference to speaking without knowing of that which you spoke. Naturally, the purser did not understand the reference. He nodded, grunted, and jotted a few notes. Forward hold, he said. Gatha fell in beside her for a few steps. Remember, I count on you. The female student glanced over. Rain plastered her hair, laying between her eyes and down her face. Gatha nodded his support. You are my eyes and ears back here on Talaria, in case I ever need to come home. Not very likely, unless Baron ever stepped down. Still, Gatha might eventually need access to slow-time waters if he were to run out of the supply he'd stolen and information on the latest Academy breakthroughs when they happened. She nodded reluctantly. Master Gatha! The captain called out before he could bolster his students' confidence more. The rogue tutor stopped by the captain's alcove, bracing himself for discovery and the quick violent action that would necessitate. But Ilsa Bravin posed no true concerns of that nature. You may take the first passenger cabin, she said simply. You're our only guest. The tutor nodded. Where is your first port of call? He asked. Argiv. Gatha smiled. Argiv, he said, repeating the name. Well, well. After 75 years, Gatha would apparently be returning home. The Academy slept. Only a night watch roamed the real-time areas of the island. A few assistants monitored critical projects which required 24-hour surveillance, but for the most part, silence gripped Talaria. Karn never slept. His body did not require it. Though in times of decreased activity, he could suspend his higher brain functions and enter kind of a hibernation just to pass time until he was with purpose again. In years gone by, he had done just that, but not tonight. 
or any night in the past year since his alteration. He vowed he would never sleep again, though of course, in time, even that vow would be lost. No bed ate up space in the Gollum's room. It simply was not required. There was a table and several reinforced chairs, but the most functional pieces were the shelves where Karn placed the memorabilia he'd collected over the decades, the centuries, books and pictures, keepsakes and souvenirs, the aggregation of a lifetime. Nothing in this room was without meaning, without a memory attached, but there soon would be. All of it would become meaningless to Karn as his memory faded, except one thing, a picture of Joyra, sketched for him by a student of artifice, also gifted in art. It was all he had left of her, his best friend. Karn couldn't bear the thought of Joyra returning to the island and him not remembering her. Karn stared at the picture and quietly spoke to himself. Joyra is my friend, my best friend. We met in the original academy, before the accident drove us from Teloria. She named me Karn. I'm an old Thrandney. She said it meant strength. His voice sounded heavy in the confines of his small room of memories. A wave of intense anguish rolled over the golem. All this for a person he had not seen in better than a century. There were events from as little as four days prior which he could no longer recall with exacting detail, fading for their lack of emotional significance as they would in a human mind. How did they stand it? Card could not remember ever feeling frightened, and these days his lack of memory no longer meant that it was true, but he felt frightened now. Standing there, memories arranged around him like trophies from the past. Karn started again. Joyra is my friend, my best friend. 